Okay. Praise God. Let's uh, pray. God, I'm so grateful for who you are. Your love is overwhelming. Father, I pray for each of the men here that our hearts would turn to you. Now, when we're in church, it's easier. No question. But especially when we go home, when we're at work, Lord, that we would seek you in the moments, in the quiet moments, in the midst of the business, and the hustle and bustle when we're relying on ourselves. Help us to seek you. Help us to abide in you. Draw closer to you. Help us to be needy. Lord, we are needy. We do need you. You know our frame. You know our condition. And we need you so desperately. We want to see you, God. So do what you need to do within us that we may love you more. Stay at your bosom. Feel your heartbeat. Feel your breath upon us. Your spirit, spirit giving us life. Drawing others to you. Giving you the glory you deserve. In Jesus' name. Amen. So we're uh, going to be continuing our study in Second Corinthians. Moving on to chapter 3. So, just some of the backdrop we've talked about already. God, God is speaking through Paul to this church. Well, in 1 Corinthians, he was stern and pretty clear, severe at times with them, letting them know where they were stepping in line, what they need to do. All throughout 2 Corinthians, you get the heart of God through Paul the love that he has, the care he has. You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, he talked about in the love chapter what love is like. Here in 2 Corinthians, Paul is showing that love for the body. So I want you to get that because in everything he's speaking, it's not just an intellectual knowledge. He's trying to show his love for them and for them to love Christ more and how that shows up in what they're thinking, but especially in what they're doing. So in Second Corinthians, when you look at the chapter, you can divide it into five areas. In the first part, in the first three verses, he talks about his commendations, the things why he can speak what he does. But more importantly, he leads them into the second part, and we'll talk about that in verses 4 to 6, about his sufficiency of God. Okay. He then speaks about the new covenant that's more glorious than the one given by Moses. That's the new covenant that's available to us. And then it, he talks about in verses 12 to 15 that there is no veil on the face of those who are believers in Christ. While there still remains a veil on Israel and actually on the rest of the world. And so the point that he summarizes the whole chapter is that veil is taken away only through Christ. And so that's the point, and we're going to talk about this. In everything that I'm going to communicate, I want you to remember that everything, the veil is taken away through Christ. We cannot see clearly apart from Christ. We cannot operate properly apart from Christ. It's not just salvation. 
It's not just coming. It's literally the vehicle, the power source, and everything that we need to do moment by moment of every day. In all that we do, it must be done seeing clearly who Jesus, who God is, and what He has done for us, but also what He is doing in and through us in the present. So, as Peter was fixing on eternity, when he focused on Jesus in the distance stepping out of the boat, that's what Paul is calling the Corinthians to do. To see clearly what's going on. And that's what God's asking us. He's asked us moment by moment to see clearly why we worry, why we despair, why we get frustrated, is we don't see clearly. We see as fleshly, carnal man, temporal, worrying because we, as I've shared before from Tim Keller, because we don't believe God's going to get it right. And even worse, bitter when we believe that God's got it wrong. For me, that's been speaking a lot for me in the last couple of weeks. When I've, you know, the bitterness that I've had in the past, I believe God's got it wrong. If you have that, that's where that bitterness comes from. And that worrying, I don't think God's going to get it right. We say all these things that God's really good. Do we really believe it? It's going to show up day to day in the anxieties and the challenges we have. So let's move on. Let's start at the chapter with verses 1 to 3. Paul says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you? Or letters of accommodation from you. You, you are our epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh that is of the heart. The world, and you see that more and more, wants all these, what's your certificates? What's your degrees? What's everything that you accomplish? And for a long time, the church has bought into that. This, we do these certificates of ordination. We do all these things that we have in seminaries and training. And I'm not saying those things are not good. I'm not saying spending time in the Word, getting teaching is not good. They are excellent things to do. But getting a piece of paper or certificate that you weigh on the wall or that you um, mount on the wall is not what Paul's talking about. That's not what real faith is. There are a lot of people who have great knowledge, lots of degrees, but their preaching just gives forth death. And those of you who are in that study, you know that about the preaching that kills when you've learned that with Pastor Glenn talking about that there's death given, there's head knowledge, but no life, no spirit. What Paul's saying is, I don't need to give you that. I don't need to give you all my testimony, my pedigree. I don't need to get the letters in reference. What I'm speaking to is because of the changed lives that you have for what God has done through me to bless you. What God's done in you because he's used me for it, that's the epistle. So in that sense, we here, we are all epistles of Pastor Jeff. Pastor Glenn, when they're preaching of the work that they did. Okay? The growth that we've had, of course it's by Christ, but it's a testimony to the wonderful leadership that we've had at this church, how richly we've been blessed. Okay? And 
their confidence is not in themselves. They can be gratified and encouraged that what they're doing is for is a value and builds the kingdom, knowing that the source is Christ. And that's what Paul's talking about, that it's all from Christ. So when you're speaking life, when people ask me what I'm doing, why do I do what I do, where, you know, I'm leaving, as you know, leaving work and having to deal with all that, wanting me to stay, I'm going, this is where life comes from. Other things I do, I mean, it's meaningful. It's not, it's useful, okay? Very useful, okay? But ultimately, it doesn't get them into eternity. Ultimately, it's not going to make a big kingdom difference. The kingdom difference is when they come into a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ, surrender their lives, Lord God is on their throne, and they're living for Jesus. That's the epistles that we have. And so Paul's saying that, but that's an encouragement for us to do the same. So when we go forth and we share at MetaView, when we go on mission trips, like when Brian's going to be going to Honduras, and Justin's got back from the Philippines, and we're going to be going later to the Pakistan or in India, that God's going to use that as a blessing. But it doesn't matter. Anybody see it's free. People at work. It doesn't have to be something fancy or formal. A changed life for Christ when you're surrendered and you're being used by God is the testimony. And that's really what God's going to count when we're before Him. That's what He's going to look at. He's look at when my good and faithful servant, He's going to look at the life changed. Somebody... Uh, this was back in the 90s. He's one of the music ministers sang the song, beautiful song about what it's going to be like in heaven when people see and talked about, I think it's a Ray Bolt song, but about testimony of what God did and what you did for Jesus or something. I, I, some of you may know that song. Pastor knows what I'm talking about. It's a beautiful song talked about that. But really, I'm not there for the acclaim of other people. Okay? It's a great song. Love the song. I'm looking forward to being at Jesus' breast. And him saying and whispering in my ear, Well done, good and faithful servant. I love you. Thank you. You trusted me. Even when it didn't make sense to you. Even when it looked dark and forbidding. Even though you thought everybody else thought you were crazy. You trusted me. You believed in me. You gave your life for me. Come, share in your master's pleasure. Eternity, everything we'll have will be available. That's what Paul's encouraging with. That's the thing he wants them to get. And what I want us to get, and the message that I'm going to be speaking about, is that we have sufficiency in Christ. Yes, none of us are righteous on our own. And we have frequently humbled come forth seeing our sins. And our sins are ever-present. I see my shortcomings every day. And do we need to repent of it? Yes. I also really want you to get. You are forgiven. You are victors in Jesus Christ. And you can walk in confidence for what He has done and is doing in you. You're here. That is the victory. You're not shirking away from that. You're confessing imperfectly, but confessing and stepping forward. I want you to take the message of the confidence you can have in Jesus Christ to do what He wants you to do. Not confidence for you to live your own life for yourself, but the confidence that you can have in Christ to fulfill His purpose in you because He has purpose in you. And each of us. That's how good He is. He can do it on His own. He doesn't need us. We know that. But He loves us so much as a father loves a child, a two-year-old 
who's trying to help Daddy build a table. Right? And he's got his own little plastic hammer set construction set, and he wants to come alongside and watch Daddy do it. That's the kind of dad he is who wants to enjoy in that fellowship with us to do that. That love, that affection, that wants to see the child grow into manhood. And the real manhood will have will be in Christ. The true men are those who are most like Jesus. The true men are those who are most like Jesus. He's the epitome of the true man. True woman, too, for that matter. But especially for us, the true man. So if you want to look at what's the model to aim for, it's always Jesus. We've talked about this before. You have only two people to compare yourself with. Who you were and who Jesus is. That's who you were. You're not less who you were. Okay? Who Jesus is. That's your goal. That's all we have to worry about. Nobody else that we really have to be concerned about. Not one. Okay? We get to see clearly. So, um... When they're talking about on the tablets of flesh. So, he talks about the tablets of stone. And you know what that's alluding to. Obviously, the Ten Commandments and what the stones that Moses got, okay, on Mount Sinai. And then he's talking about it's written on our hearts, and he's talking about the new covenant. So, the big thing that Paul's going to talk in this chapter is what's happening, the new work within us. So, this the thing to get, this was God's plan from the beginning. It's not like, oh, the Israel screwed up, now I have to go to plan B. This was his plan from the beginning. He knows it. So even when we screw up, I want us to get that. God's promises to work all things to good for those who love him and call according to his purpose. He's not surprised. He goes, oh, Adam, I thought you were going to do something different. I'm a little disappointed. Okay, I'll clean up your mess and we'll go to the next thing. That's not how he operates. He knows our frame. He knows everything. Now, he doesn't want me to stumble. He's not saying, oh, you screwed up. Okay, go keep screwing up. I can fix it. That's not what God wants. That's not at all his nature. His nature is good. He wants us at all times to aim for Christ, to be more like Christ. He'll be, okay, you fell off the bicycle. Dust yourself off. Okay, get back on. Get back on right away. No, no, don't wait. Oh, I'm sorry, look at me. My knees are scraped. And we want to huddle and cry on the dirt. That's not the kind of father. He goes, yeah, I know you're sore. You'll get over it. I promise. Get back on the bicycle. Now, get back on the bicycle. Go. We're going. Okay? So, Jeremiah 31, 33 this is the heart of God. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wow. That's what he's given us. We're his people. Through Christ, we're his people. He's going to write it imperfectly because we don't receive things very well. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that veil. But that's what he's doing. He's rewriting our mind and our hearts. When we're here and we're praising God, we're inviting God to re- 
rewrite us, to do reprogram us like Jesus, to make us more think like Jesus, to love like Jesus, to serve like Jesus. So the more we enter into that praise, the more we enter into worship, it's, it's us communing with God and we're asking Him that. Have your way. Your will be done. You're worthy. It's a right understanding of God with who He is. You're worthy. And us entering into that worship, trusting Him, and surrendering, saying, okay, have your way. It's our commitments. It's our agreement with Him. Ezekiel 36, 26, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And what he means by that is a heart of spirit. This is the kind of God. He will do it. Anytime you're worried, God is affecting that change. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Um, and I've shared this before from Jerry Bridges, you know, there's no day so good you're beyond the need for God's grace and no day so bad you're beyond the reach of God's grace. Okay? Be encouraged. Confess our sin. Get right with God. Be humble and contrite, all the steps, but also walk in the joy of the Lord. All at the same time. It's kind of crazy, but it actually works out because God will accomplish His will. You have to trust Him. You have to submit. There's no question. There's an obligation on our part. But if you know that God's that good, you're willing to do it. When you know that your Father's that good, you're willing to jump off the stairwell knowing that He's going to catch you. I don't know how my kids do it. You think you're crazy. You know, you think the Father would go, oh, 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 no, it never happens. You always catch your kid. God's better than that. He will always catch you. But you have to reach out to Him. You can't be jumping away. Okay? He jumps to the Father, not away from the Father. So let's move on to 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 to 6. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. So it already answers. That speaks to what I just talked about, that trust. The trust is that God's going to do that in the new covenant. So it says, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That doesn't mean that the Word of God kills. People interpret that misunderstanding. Oh, well, no, we have to go by the Spirit. We don't trust what the Word says. We just go where the Spirit, the feeling of the Spirit leads us. That is a wrong theology. It's very clear when they talk about the New and Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is the Mosaic Covenant. Talking about the law, all through Romans, the law was meant to show us where we screw up. The law condemned us. Okay? And so this Spirit that gives life is the New Covenant of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and so the the letter, the word of God is powerful. We're going to talk about that. Look at, well, I'll actually come to it. Um, Jeremiah thirty one thirty one. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Okay, so God has already promised that in us. 
Now, I love this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Our sufficiency is of God. Let us practically enjoy this truth. We are poor, leaky vessels. And the only way for us to keep full is to put our pitcher under the perpetual flow of boundless grace. Then, despite its leakage, the cup will always be full to the brim. You ever have it? You have those things that are leaking? If you have a, you know, a glass or something that's leaking, and you're like, we have to continually go to the fount. We have to continually go to the power of the Spirit. It won't sustain us. Just like the manna, you only had enough for that day. We really only have enough for the moment. Okay? Even the stuff in the morning, it helps. There's no question. There may be a little bit of water left over in the thing, but the more you go to the fount, the more the filling of the Spirit you'll have. The more you go to Jesus, and sufficiency is in Him. So that's the point. Again, the same message over and over that Paul's talking about. My worth, my esteem, who I am, it really only amounts to what Jesus says. Everybody else may think I'm worthless, that I'm useless, that I'm no good. That's okay. That's really okay. If we can get over that, get beyond the idea of needing the affirmation of other people, and really get that our focus is on Jesus. Now, it is useful. I'm not saying you have to shut yourself off from everybody else's humanity. It is useful to be in the body and get affirmation to see if, you're, if you are like Jesus. Because we can be blinded, arrogant, presumptive. Oh, I am following Jesus, and you're nothing like Jesus. So I need somebody to say, ah, this is not like what's in the Word. This is not like Jesus. So we do need each other to point each other out to that. But the metric is what Jesus thinks I am, not what anybody else really thinks I am. And the purpose of the body is to point us continually back to Jesus. To continually back to Jesus. So Paul is basically saying sufficiency. So he says nothing of ourselves. So he's basically saying, look, I'm not boasting about what I can do. I'm boasting about what Christ can do in and through me. That's where my sufficiency is. He continually fills me up, and then I can be a blessing to others. What if that was what we woke up to and prayed for each day? Fill me up, Lord, that I can be a blessing to others. Fill me up, Lord, that I can be a blessing to others. The natural man is, fill me up so I can do what I want. That I can get the reward that I want. That I can be comfortable not have to worry about anything, have everything that I want. That's not what Scripture is about. We've said this over. We're not here for ourselves. We're not here for you. You're not here for you. Those of you who are husbands and fathers know that especially you're there for your wife and for your children. I'm also there for my adult children who still meet me. But I'm also there for others, for you. You're there here for me. We live for each other. That means our focus always needs to be on Jesus and external. When we get so inwardly focused, even on our sin, oh, when we get so inwardly focused, that navel gazing that people tend to do and that thing of self-actualization and you got to think of yourself. I heard this over. you got to take care of yourself. you got to do this for yourself. That is, not, that is of the world. That is not of God. 
I go through all these meetings, seminars about self-care, about doing that. You can't help anybody else in self-care. I had to do that all last night. And I really, I need to do what the Lord tells me to do. There's things I need to take care of myself. There's no question. The body is, you being the temple of the Holy Spirit, but the principle behind that is, all this belongs to God. So if this belongs to God, then I, I need to take care of for God. Which, I'm definitely a work in progress on that. So, we talked about Jeremiah 31, 31. Let's move on to Luke chapter 22, verses 19 to 20. And this is about Jesus. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you. So it's abundantly clear the new covenant is centered on Jesus. Power through the Holy Spirit. That's what we're under now. We're always under the new covenant. The letter, the law, kills. The Spirit, the blood of Christ, gives life. So that ancient Greek word for covenant, diatheke, spelled D-I-A-T-H-E-K-E, um, has been used in terms of a last will and testament. But it's a covenant is not an agreement. I can make an agreement with you. We can come to an understanding. A covenant is a one-way transaction. A covenant is what God does to us. It's not conditional on us in that same sense. That's what He does. Now, there's things that He wants of us that's kind of in the condition, but really, it's an arrangement by one party with plenary power. So that's what they describe. Basically, you can accept it, or you can reject it, but you can't change it. It's my covenant. This is what I'm going to do. God says, this is what I'm going to do in these terms. Accept, reject, but you can't change the terms. So you can't come to God, and people think, I can come to God on my own terms. No, you can't. We can only come to God on His terms. We can only come to God on His terms. Now, the good news is, His terms are the best. They're the best terms. Okay? We'd screw it up. We'd pay much more interest. be much more painful. His terms are the best terms. But we can only come on His terms. People don't trust His terms because they don't trust God. That's why they're not willing to do it. Because they think he's a killjoy, he's going to take all pleasure, it's going to be a rotten life, I'm not going to like it. Because I can't get to do what I want. The problem is what you want to do is throw yourself over a cliff. Jump off moving train. That's what we want to do. And then we get hurt and shattered and emotionally battered, thinking that our life's better. Chasing after material things that provide no satisfaction. I mean, after six weeks with a new car, it's lost its smell, it's really not the same. It's really not the same. There's nothing I've purchased materially that I go, man, I am so glad I got that. My life is so much richer because of it. Now, I'm grateful the things I have. I like that I have a vehicle that's reliable, that gets me point A to point B, and I can move things. I'm not saying I'm unappreciative, but I don't think my life is tremendously better, that I'm deep. I have this deep satisfaction in my spirit. And I go to bed. <sighs> I have such a nice thing. I don't. It's useful for time. It's nice because it's novel, just like anything that's that's new, that's novel. But it doesn't last. Our relationship with Jesus Christ, 
the deeper the relationship, the more we love Jesus, the more we're surrendered, the more satisfaction we'll have, the more joy we'll have. The more we serve others in that, it multiplies. When you do that, it multiplies. God's engineered it that when you're serving others, His blessings are multiplied. It has to be done through His Spirit. But when you do, you get richly blessed. I have, it's, it's proven over and over. I've never had a situation where I was doing it, pouring on myself and go, Man, why did I waste my time? This is terrible. I hate this. No. I'm like, why didn't I do this before? Why haven't I done this more? Again, half and going to the fount. Sufficiency in Christ. Not dependent on yourself. When I have done things of my own energy, in my own strength, out of my own power, for my own glory, really, that's the motivation, for my own glory, yeah, I'm burnt out, tired, frustrated, irritated. So if you're wondering, ah, oh, I did that for God, you look like you're burnt out, probably you need to take a look and go, yeah, I really wasn't doing it for Jesus. I was doing it for me. So you think good of me. That I'm a nice guy. That I'm a good guy. Okay? So things for us to be conscious of. Paul talks again and again, sufficiency in Christ, the power of Christ through the blood of the covenant. Okay? Paul says in Romans 7, verses 5 and 6, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now that we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So this is the choice between us. We can still choose to be operating in the letter, in the law. That's the part that I talked about, frustration, despair, death. But if we operate in the newness of the spirit, that's where we have life. We get life and the people around us are life. When we're here in worship t- tonight, I'm, I'm life. I'm like, wow, I'm life. And it's like I notice that there's more and more life. Now, there's twofold. Why is there more life? Because... I'm being changed by God, so I'm more receptive. But also, everybody's being changed by God. So when we have a community and that's available and we're all being changed by God, it creates this unity between us, but also more of the Spirit comes and we want to see God. He wants to see more. He deserves all of that. And that's when we'll really take hold of that. As we all enter and engage together, Spirit comes. Power is available. Others are blessed. The kingdom grows. His will is done. So, we talk about the Spirit of life. And I was going to quote Hebrews 4.12 before, but I'll do it now. For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So I've heard double-edged. Piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we've talked over and over about spending time in the Word. That Word, and especially listening to the Word. I can't say that enough. Yes, read the Word. Try to read it out loud. Listen to the Word. Listen to the Word. It penetrates. It exposes things. God does something with it. It opens up our heart to show what is our true motivation. 
Whenever I read the Word, I realize how much I still try to do in things in my own strength. How much I still try to do in my own thinking, relying on my will and not what God's plan are, plans are. That's the opportunity. That's the strength of the Word. We talk about, so when I talked about the letter kills, I'm not saying that the Word of God gives death. I'm saying that the law of Moses, that covenant was designed to give death so that we would see our need to have a Savior and have life. But that the Word of God gives life. It says here, it gives life. It says your penetrative soul. It says it's living. It's active. So believe in the Word. Allow the Word to do the work, but to transform us more like Jesus through His Spirit. So let's move on to the next verses in verses three, um, chapter 3, verses 7 to 11. But the ministry of death written and engraved on stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away. How will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, which remains is much more glorious. Well, that's a lot. What he's saying here what Paul is trying to communicate is the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments. <coughs> you know, when Moses came and he received it, he had the Shekinah glory. Initially, the glory was so intense, he had to be veiled because he couldn't even look upon it. But Paul brings new clarity to that. He also said afterwards he still had to wear the veil because the glory was passing and they see that it would fade. Okay, and so that nature of that was, it was glorious, not to minimize the glory, but it was a fading glory. That veil protected them from being too much, but also from seeing the fact that it was fading, that it was insufficient to what they needed. And that's the point that he's talking about. He said, the spirit now, the ministry of condemnation had glory. So what they did with the law, even though it condemned us to death, had glory. The ministry of righteousness, that's in Jesus, has much more. What's happening now that we have now is much more than what Moses and the Israelites did. When you look at and watch the movies, Ten Commandments, and you see all that thunder and lightning and the fire from the mountain and all that shuddering and all that, what's now is much more impressive than that. We don't believe that. We don't live that. We're not experiencing it, and we don't live that. Because we don't see correctly. But that's what the Word clearly says is true. What God has done with us is much more glorious. Much more glorious. Okay? Because it's going to remain. And it's not only going to remain, it's going to build. It's not going to fade away. That glory of Moses fades away. The new glory builds. As our lives are transformed like Jesus, God gets more glory. There's more glory going to shine through us for His glory. It's His glory. It's nothing that we did except to surrender and trust in Him. There is that volition on our part. So let's move on to 2 Corinthians 
3.12-15. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. So Paul is basically saying the difference. This is what happens when you can see what's happening in Israel right now with the Jews. They see the Torah and the the Old Testament scriptures. And there's a veil. It's covering their hearts and their mind. They cannot see correctly what's going on. Now Paul elaborates, that veil is there for everybody. When you wonder, when you talk about Jesus, they don't understand what you're talking about. The veil is around the world. Now, its world is under the dominion of the Prince of Darkness. We understand that. The Prince of this air has dominion of that, and he creates that veil. He's deceived them, just as he deceived us. They're all under deception. Okay, and that veil, okay, if you're looking at the Word and you're doing it in your own intellect, only in your own understanding, there's still a veil. People gave me scriptures. They gave me Bibles. You know, they gave me to me since I was a kid. can't remember how many Bibles I had. I couldn't, couldn't get beyond it. Couldn't read it. So-and-so begat so-and-so. I still can't read scripture and memorize it in my own intellect. I can't. It doesn't connect. You know, I tried the whole index card. Like, I think I've shared with you fighter verses, and I've got the app and memorized and all the different techniques, and I do it, and it just doesn't stick. And for a while, I remember it, but that doesn't stick. And I have a good memory. I can remember lots of things really well, but not with Scripture, because it's different. Scripture is really extra-dimensional. We live in four dimensions. God exists outside, as I've mentioned before. It's something that transcends our understanding. It's beyond our natural senses. It speaks to a deeper level within our heart and flesh that we don't even understand. Our soul that we don't understand. That God knows. And that's what he's saying is there's a veil. There's a veil then when reading the Old Testament based on the law. There's a veil over us too if we're not in Christ. If we're not in Christ, we will not see Scripture correctly. Those who've done the mercy studies remembered what Rex Andrews said. Open your word to my heart and my heart to your word. When I read that, transformed my way of looking at Scripture. Changed me completely. That's the idea. To understand Scripture, I love my son, and he knows Scripture well from his head. Far better than I do. But heart, the heart part is still a challenge for him. Getting it. Praise God. Getting it. Okay? I'm encouraged every time I see him. Um, gratifies me in that. But that's the idea for each of us. The heart Deep inside who we are, asking God, show us that He can change us. Show us that He can give us an idea of who you are, a sight of you. We're blessed. We're truly blessed with our pastor. 
When you hear him worship, I've never had worship like this. First time in 2012 at the conference, and he was just free worshiping God in the middle of between songs. I'm like, okay, that's a little weird. I wasn't used to it, but I liked it. It was authentic. It was real. It's transformational. It changes us. Our active participation in worship, not just singing songs in our head, just the way we memorize songs or sing songs, same way you sing secular songs, but in worship, acknowledging who he is in the midst of the song, reaching out to him, asking him. Sometimes you can sit. You don't always have to stand. It doesn't have to be always overtly, but it has to be something of your heart. Changes us. Opens the word. Takes the veil away from us. God has been taking the veil away from us at Lighthouse. Praise God. He is changing us. And we have, because of that, we can speak now with boldness. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Boldness. Because of what He's done. And so the opportunity for us is God's calling us to be bold. Much bolder than we've been. In Him. Trusting in Him. But that means relying more and more on Him, asking Him to get, to see His Him unveiled, to see His words unveiled. So if you're struggling and you're going through that, praying, I'm going to tell you something. For me, praying in tongues, transformational. Open the Word up for me. Speaking, I can't speak any other way without it. Change the way I look at everything. Okay, I invite you to press in those who have that. If not, seek it. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to go into a whole, you know, theological thing about that. I know there's something. It's because it's also beyond my understanding. For a guy who's pretty intellectual, likes, you know, learning new things about the Bible, about God, it's changed the way of my focus is. Because, you know, while I like to understand God more in my intellect, I really want to understand more in my heart. I really want to get to know him in my heart. I want something more. And that's what that is. It opens that directly beyond my intellect. This thing that gets in the way, it has a direct access into here. And that's the invitation for you to press into. If you haven't, I invite you to do so. Test God. See what he says. Um... Second Corinthians chapter three verse sixteen to eighteen. Nevertheless, nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. There's a lot in these verses. Okay, so as I was talking about, we with unveiled face, we have to ask God to unveiling that face. We have to get a sight of Him. When we have that, when that veil is taken away, we behold into a mirror. Now, I want you to understand something. We don't have a correct 
image of ourselves. We don't. You think you look in the mirror and you have a true sense of who you are. There's a lot of people, you know, people, there are people who have um, body dysmorphic disorder. Um, what does that mean? Um, you may have heard of the, those of us old enough to know of the carpenters. Um, Karen Carpenter had that, and she was anorexic. You may have heard of anorexia nervosa, okay? And she was an attractive female, but thought that she was fat, and she starved herself and eventually died because of it. Because of that, it created you know, notoriety about it, then people start to really investigate that. But there are many who look, they think they're fat or they're ugly. They have plastic surgery trying to make them look better because they think their nose is wrong or something's wrong. And I know, you know, you look in the, you know, I have an eye for that, we see that. You know, one ear is a little bit different size than the other. As we grow older, as our ears grow larger, our nose grows bigger, so we get ugly and uglier as we get older. That's just normal. We get spots and things like that. That's normal. People are trying to do all this thing to prevent that and try to do all this, you know, Botox and Genuva and fillers and all this stuff to make themselves look good and have facelifts, chin lifts, eyelid lifts, and all that stuff. But it's all going to perish from that. But we don't have a correct sense of it. And people have body dysmorphic don't see that. But the point is, these are also things we don't see correctly because we just see what's on the surface. Okay, and this mirror that what he's saying that we behold is we need to look in the mirror and the unveiled face is to see Christ in us. What does it mean when we look and we see Christ in us? Who of us has really got a grasp of what it looks like with Christ in us? Wow, I'm challenged by that. Christ in us. The glory of God unveiled. That means we get to see. We have direct access, unveiled. Moses came down, kind of glory, couldn't see that. He saw the glory of God. We have that available to see that. As a mirror to see God's glory in us. Not because we're great, but because He is that good. That's what He's given in and through us through the Spirit. The glory of Christ to see. And so, the encouragement is this. If you see and you know you, not, you were not what you once were, then you can have confidence to know that you won't be what you are now. If you're chasing after Jesus, if you're pressing in, and you're earnestly seeking imperfectly, I get it. Okay? You can always look like, oh, I wish I did more. I should spend more time. Don't. You're under no condemnation. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's too much self-focus. Just focus on Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Gaze upon him with his. We have unveiled access to him that when you see, you have to ask him. See him, show me who you are. Show me who you are within me. That others can see that. How do you know that? I know when I'm around somebody else, I get to see Christ in them because my spirit comes alive. Just as John the Baptist inside his mother Elizabeth quickened. He came alive when Jesus was in Mary. Younger. He was older, obviously. He came alive with that. He could sense that. We can sense when somebody falls in love with Jesus around them. There's something, there's a sweetness about them. Now, if we're operating in the flesh, we can be death. Not so good. Has anybody been there? Yeah, we all have. All thinking of myself, making my own decisions and my own reasoning, my own understanding. But if we're truly surrendered at that moment, saying, 
Your will, not my will. We can have the Spirit come through and it can be richly blessing, rich blessing, giving life to others. And you get to see, and you get to come almost like if you can detach and separate, you go, wow. of what we'll have in heaven. When we get to be there and we get to see that. When we get to look in his eyes and we see our reflection in his eyes. The glorious reflection we'll have in our glorified body. But to see him through that. We'll have, he will give us that. That's when we see. We, we don't see through a, a glass darkly. Rose-colored glass or tinted glass or whatever you want to call it. We will see clearly. We'll be unveiled. That unveiling, that opportunity is available to us now. And Paul talks something more that I want us to get to. Is where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, people think that that may be license to do what they want. Ah, the Spirit of God is, there's liberty. You can do what you want. You have freedom. That's not what it's saying. Okay? It's not about us. What he's talking about is there is freedom in Christ to be fully like Christ. We can actually be like Christ. Now we can think, oh, well, I'm imperfect. I was going to be perfect. Only Jesus perfect. Yes. It's improbable that we'll be like Christ on this earth, but not impossible. Improbable, but not impossible. The liberty that we have in the Spirit is God says, Jesus says, one's going to come who's more powerful than I. Because it's going to be in each of us. It's going to be with us at all times. Jesus was at one point at one time when he came on earth. The Spirit's everywhere all the time. And Spirit's within us. Tweaking our conscience. Checking our spirit. Restraining us from sin. Pointing us towards Jesus. We've been there. That's the opportunity. As we press in and join with the Spirit, not beating against the goads, in fellowship with that, we'll see, we'll take mold of more of that, we'll have more freedom. And so when you do that, you actually feel free. I noticed that it's a crazy thing. Once I've made this decision to step away from doing, knowing that, hey, I'm going to do what you want, there's a part of me that goes, okay, what's going to happen with work? I've got a few jobs. I'll probably have something, but I don't really have it planned out. What am I going to do? But, you know, I'm God, you know, just the same thing in church. You know, our offerings have been down a little bit. And, you know, we, there's a part of us that wants to have this, okay, guys, you need to start giving a little bit more, start tithing, what's the matter with you? You know, in our own reasoning, we can depend on our own thinking. Instead of on Christ going, okay, God, you're going to work it out. I've got a sufficient bank account that I can survive well. If the church is actually doing pretty well, that it can survive well in those things. We're not going to worry or fret. We're going to depend on God, but the neat thing is the freedom that I now have. I actually like going to work. I'm doing better at my work than I've ever done. Praise God. Crazy how well it works. Everything's just everything's just flowing. It's amazing. It's like, wow. And it's the freedom you have when you're surrendered and trusting God, knowing that He's going to work it out. When you're fully in with Him, He's going to work it out. He's going to move obstacles. Now, you may not know what it's going to look like. He didn't say you're going to know. Everywhere in Scripture, he says, you won't know. You won't know. Trust me, you won't know. Trust me, you won't know. That's hard for us because we want to know. But he's saying, trust me, you won't know. 
Guaranteed you won't. You might know the season, but you definitely won't know the hour. He says about everything. He says, trust me. He says, don't predict what tomorrow's going to be. All in James, we went through that. You don't even know what's going to be. You don't know what tomorrow's going to be. Stop worrying. I'm good. I got it. Daddy's going to get you there. You may think, are we there yet, Dad? Are we there? Are we there? What's going to be? Where are we going, Dad? We're going to go where we need to go. I got it covered. You don't have to worry. Just sit back. Keep your, keep your car seat on. Keep your same car seat. Keep your seatbelt on. Trust me in this ride. So he talks about this. He says, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Do you get that? From glory to glory. We look in the mirror right now. I don't see glory. But that's not what the Word says. The Word says glory right now. And you look and you go, well, I was unkind to that person. I was impatient. I was frustrated. I didn't do this. I spent, you know... I said I was going to spend 30 minutes with the Lord, and I spent 20 minutes, or I didn't pray at that time, and you know, I, I got distracted, and all of the things that you see that you don't do. Again, focus on yourself. But that's not it's Christ in you. That's what the Spirit is. There's glory that Christ is in you in this moment. That's the power. That's where we can be bold, and you're going to go to more glory. The glory building. Everything we talk about is glory to glory. Glory today to glory tomorrow, glory, glory, glory. Building, building. As we're abiding in Christ, trusting in God, it builds. The glory builds. It's more. That's what's available with Christ. Through His Spirit, with a surrendered life. The Spirit gives liberty. It's liberty in the Spirit. Not in the self. In the Spirit, seeking God earnestly. That's what's available. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. Don't be condemned. Don't look back in your day going, I wish I did more. What's the matter with me? Stop it. Please. Look. Yes. Okay. What's tomorrow? God, your mercies are new each day. Okay. Help me to love you more tomorrow. Help me love you more right now. Right now. Trust you more right now. Fall and love you. That's why that song, I mean... How good of a God do we have? You know, just amazing. Those exact songs I need, we need to hear about abiding in the vine, that abiding in God. He's that good. He's that good. If you can say it, He's that good. My favorite motto, right? Romans eight twenty nine. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Predestined to be We don't have an understanding of foreknowledge the same way that God is, because God's outside of time. That being said, to Him, it's all now. And I can talk, and I'm not going to go to all the different theories about time and subsets of universes that God knows and all that sort of thing, though I like that sort of thinking. Um, but I want you to get the idea that God is sovereign over everything. Okay? Nothing is a surprise to God. And yet, there is free will in Christ with Him. We're bound, bound, you know, we're bound in some of our things by our limitations, our human limitations in the body, 
I can't fly because I freely want to fly. I have limitations, okay? There are things I can freely do and not freely do within that subset. And if you're bound by sin, because of what Adam did and because of our choices, there are consequences of that. But there's freedom in Christ. And God has determined in advance what's going to happen. What's going to happen is we're going to become like Christ. We're all going to become like Christ. Glory to glory, all become like Christ. That's the boldness and confidence we need to have. Not under condemnation. Yeah, do we need to come forward and be clean and repent? Of course. Every day we're called to repent to that daily walk. But not to live in that navel-gazing thing, but to walk, okay, God, I'm imperfect, but I'm yours today. Do what you want. Let's go on this roller coaster ride together, this adventure. I'm going to trust you. Change me the way you want to. Get the maximum glory in my life. Your way is always the best. Your way is always the best. And let me see you. Take away the veil. Let me get a better sight of you. Because the more we see him, the more we love him. Right? The more we see, the more we find him, the more we love him. The more we love him, the more we'll be like him. Only can, You can only love him more as you're like him more. You have to be more like him to love him. You have to be. You can't love him if you're not like him. It's not going to happen any other way. So if you say, I love Jesus, and you look at them and they're not like him, then their love is small. But the more you're like him, the greater your love is. And the greater your love for others. And you encourage others that way. That's really what we want to get. So, be joyful. God is good. He's got us. He is helping us. 